0: And sometimes it's a real struggle. I've, I've wasted, you know, set periods where I'm trying to design for hours and I just can't. It's, it's not happening. Nothing good is coming out here. You know, I can't, I can't use any of this. Kind of thing.
1: Yeah, it's great because we we get to use this space and it offers the aesthetic that we're looking for, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, a a comfortable, intimate space to just have conversations and not feel as though because I've noticed with some podcasts, it's when they zoom out and you see BTS footage, there's like 10 other people in the room. And I find sometimes for the guest, they may not be comfortable having the types of conversations we have with like 10 other people sitting there right because now it's one thing to talk to strangers and it's only two of them you get to know each other you relax a little and then you've got like ten other people snapping photos and BTS behind the scenes it kind of throws your rhythm off so that's where uh, we found that having this a bit more of an intimate space makes more sense totally so Christopher Bates welcome to the Genstock podcast how are you
0: doing good thanks for having me
1: Well, we're glad you're here a lot of exciting stuff going on in the world of fashion and a lot of exciting stuff going on in your world um but for those who know you only from what they see online tell us a little bit about Christopher and how you got to
0: where you're at today Yeah I mean the online shows a small part of what the reality is you know yeah. it's kind of it's typically almost like a highlight reel I imagine people think I lounge around in tuxedos drinking martinis <laughs> <laughs> all the time, but um, no, that's really you know, less than 1% of the reality, and it's a lot of you know, hard work and, and grinding that goes into it behind the scenes. Um, how did I get here? Uh, it's, it's a long story. Um, I grew up in Vancouver and um, was passionate about clothes from a young age. My mom dressed my brothers and I in some pretty cool brands in like the 80s, uh, TNC Surf Design, Chip and Pepper. We wore lots of neon, um, and I I was an energetic kid, and I felt like when I put on an outfit I liked, it gave me more energy, mm. and so I felt good, and I was aware then of you know the power of clothes and a good outfit. I was a creative kid. I started sketching um, ideas for clothes and logos, and I had a book full of designs by the time I was 13. But growing up in vancouver at that time i didn't really know that fashion was a career or an industry yeah. Yeah. in which to pursue and um, you know uh, you're thinking traditional career paths you know study business or architecture law things like that but i i always wanted to do something creative and um, it wasn't until i started traveling to europe in my late teens and early 20s that i became really inspired i was in particular i remember being in stockholm Sweden and the I was just blown away by the individualism and the style of people there, and I thought, you know, these people would like my ideas Mm. because I continued to sketch a little bit here and there and make notes when I had a good idea related to clothing. It just seemed to be I was drawn to that type of creative thought. So um, at that point, I was 26. I had been working in marketing for five years, um, but I asked myself you know, at that time, is this what I want to do with the rest of my life? And the answer was no. And the next question was, if you could do anything and not fail, what would it be? And I was lucky. I had mentors growing up, and they actually asked me that question. And I thought about it, and it was like a lightning bolt. It's like, a, I want to be a fashion designer. So I quit my job, I sold my apartment, I moved to Milan. I studied at one of the best design schools in the world, uh, Istituto Marangoni. It was extremely difficult. I didn't really know what I was doing or what I had signed (laughs) up for uh, because I wasn't good at sewing. I didn't know how to make patterns. And actually I wasn't very good at drawing to be honest. Um, but I, I had a friend who I used to work out with and he told me, cause I, I told him what I wanted to do. And he's like, did you know that you can learn how to draw? And I said, I, I didn't actually know that. I thought people were born with it yeah, or too. you were done. I see. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah, but yeah. There's, a, there's a book. It's called uh, Drawing from the Right Side of the Brain or something. Anyway, I, I went through the book and started doing the exercises and I was still terrible. Um, at the beginning of the year, it was embarrassing, you know, what I was drawing. But, um, you know, that's one of the ways you express yourself as a designer. You have yeah. to be able to communicate your ideas and, and traditional drawing is still, um, is still relevant and really important. Um, but I did learn. I had a really good teacher at school, and that's something that we spent, you know, the first few months of school, just doing a ton of drawing. And I would stay up, you know, late at night or all night, working on it. And after a few months, I was actually pretty good. And you can, you can learn how to draw. That's
1: crazy. Very cool.
0: Yeah. So after school, um, I moved back to Vancouver, and I started my brand. You know, that was always my goal was to have my own brand. Um, so I didn't go, you know, the other route, which would, would have been to work for other designers. I did very little of that. Why? What, um, was, the, what was the thought process there? Well, because I, I wanted to start my own brand. You know, I had all these ideas. I didn't want to give all my best ideas to someone else. I wanted to use them and see them through on my own. So, um, you know, I think the hardest part is is actually starting your own business, you know, starting your own line. Um. So to this day, I, I don't know if that was the right decision or not. That's what I did, but would it have been better? Would it have been more helpful had I gone to work for other designers? I can't say, maybe, but maybe I'd still be working there also. Yeah. yeah, well,
1: you could have easily gone down a very different path, right? True. Like you end up with a, another major brand and you're just designing for that brand mm-hmm. as opposed to the the Christopher Bates brand. That's right. So if you can go back in time and tell younger Christopher some piece of advice,
0: What would that be? Wow, Um, I mean I I knew it was going to be tough um, and it it certainly has been, it still is in fact, Um, but I would just you know probably just to be ready you know just to be ready for anything and you know make sure you have your thick skin on and um, you know stay focused, Uh, don't spend money is a good one when you're starting (laughs) you know like let's say you have a little financing together you've got to be really careful with every dollar Mm. you know and to this day i mean i've learned that more over time but certainly when you start you know everything they say this with a lot of businesses like it costs twice or three times as much as you're going to think it takes two or three times longer (laughs) and all of these uh sayings are are, i would say pretty true so you just have to be really careful with how you spend it's not easy being an entrepreneur no and and that's that's the unique thing about my situation is that you're a designer which is difficult in of itself an entrepreneur is also difficult so when you're an entrepreneur designer it's actually really um it's kind of crazy it's pretty it's pretty extreme
2: how did you get your name out there like obviously the clothing was good but still the right person has to see it. Yeah. Is it more the people you know? Is it just luck, random chance? Is you just the right, right event at the right time? Is it just from pushing it?
0: Yeah, it's everything. I mean, when I was launching my brand in Vancouver 2008, I actually spent a large part of my budget on hiring a really great PR firm in Vancouver. So they covered my launch event and they were able, we did like a three month contract and they were able to actually get me some really great press pieces um, and and i think that helped a lot i did a big fashion show you know a high profile event called in a lot of favors um, and that you know also helped kind of put me on the scene it was like a big announcement you know vancouver is a relatively small town so if you do a big event like that you know, it can knows. start yeah it can start to cause some waves um yeah the clothes you've got to have some cool clothes um, you've got to get some interesting people wearing it and and people talking and you know getting into some stores and then supporting them with events we did that as well mm-hmm. um, we ultimately got some good traction in toronto with got style as well who mm-hmm. we still sell to to this day so um yeah it's really <laughs> you need to do everything like i remember when i was presenting my business plan to investors and they were saying okay we, we like you we like the plan but can you make these clothes? Are people going to wear them? Can you get them on celebs? Can you get into magazines? Stores going to pick them up? You know, all of these things. I mean, you, yeah, yeah, yes, they, yes, it's going to happen. But, you know, they weren't willing to invest until I checked off those boxes.
1: Yeah, and it's almost as though like that's where you take off the designer hat and now the entrepreneurial hat comes in. It's That's the marketing, right. it's the deal making, mm-hmm. it's uh, the conversations, relationship building, mm-hmm. it's the maintaining of the relationships and all that stuff. It's That I feel as though almost is more takes up more of your time than designing.
0: It's true. Yeah, the business side of things is really important. Business, communications, um, networking, um, you know. It's not like you're naturally good at all of these things. Like you have a lot of things that you, are there maybe are weaknesses. Um, or things that make you uncomfortable, Mm. but you really have to um, power through and ignore those things or just become good and learn things, get out of your comfort zone as much as possible. I think that is what helps you succeed as an entrepreneur. How do you block out the negativity?
1: We're always interested in that because it seems like for, for individuals who've achieved a measure of success, there's a lot of negativity and setbacks and hurdles and obstacles. And you push that rock up the mountain only for it to come right back down on you. And now you got to look up at that mountain and do it all over again. How do
0: you handle those? It's true. Um, rejection is a big part of being a designer. Um, because each season you make your new collection. Um, hopefully you're, you're proud of it and you want to show it to the world and then you start pitching stores. Um, Most of them will say no. That's just reality. Mm -hmm. You know. What are some of the reasons they say no? It's tough. Um, Let's say you're pitching a department store. Mm -hmm. So they have their core brands. These are brands that they deal with, you know, season after season, and that takes up maybe eighty, at least eighty percent of their budget. And they know this is happening because they have long term relationships. They might even have these brands may even have space they rent in the store. so you're not, you're not going to, you know, push any of those brands out. The remaining twenty percent of their budget is for it's like they're open to buy budget. Um, so what you want to do is get in on that, you know, twenty percent. Mm. But that twenty percent is already being shared across several different brands, brands they've already had, brands that have been pitching them for several seasons, right. maybe even for years. Um, and then you're trying to get in on that so it's really competitive like you know there's probably a thousand brands out there similar to mine in certain ways right. in the ambitions and they want to get in on into these department store slots so you know it took me it took me years to manage to get into any department stores it's really tough so mm-hmm. You're competing against a
1: lot of other people at yeah, that point. Yeah, you
0: are. You're competing against, you know, these other emerging brands, aspiring yeah. brands like mine. Um, but you're also competing directly with billion dollar mega brands.
1: Yeah. 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 And if they want a bigger share
0: for whatever reason, they, they have that first mover's advantage. Yeah, they have a lot of advantages. Yeah, it's tough. So, you know.
1: And do you design, so like you you sketch the thing out, you design it. Do you pitch it first and then create, you know, the lineup, like the the thousand pieces, 500 pieces, whatever it ends up being? Or do you do all that and then pitch it?
0: Only with my very first collection, um, because all I had was designs. Right. So I was actually walking into stores, asking to speak to the owner, showing them my designs. Hey, what do you think? And um, actually, uh, Melissa Austria, the owner of Godstyle, I remember walking into her store and I said, um, can I speak to the owner? She said, oh, that's me. I said, hi, I'm a designer from Vancouver. Uh, I'd love to show you my designs and, and let me know what you think. And um, I presented them to her and, and she liked them and said, you know, come back when the collection's ready and maybe I'll give you an order. Yeah. So that was um, that combined with Is a few that meetings. Was all like one
2: conversation or like through a few conversations? No,
0: that was one. That was one. Yeah, it's a yeah, good one, conversation. So yeah, one. Really it, conversation. No, it, it really was. Um, it really was, and that, plus a few similar conversations I had in Vancouver, mm-hmm. was enough impetus for me to actually s- create my first collection because yeah. it's a big investment and sure. it's <laughs> and it's yeah. really tough because at that point I didn't have all my suppliers, you know, organized. I didn't necessarily know how to make all of those designs, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Because there was leather bombers there was you know uh, dress shirts there were blazers there were quite a it was a you know a variety of different pieces so I had and working out of Vancouver it's not exactly a fashion manufacturing Mm. hub especially not for you know designer more evening style which was my style is my style so anyway we made the collection and um, and then we started so that was you know
1: how did it feel when you got that first piece of clothing that you designed and you saw it for the first time fully made ready to go
0: it's it's mixed i mean certain pieces come out really well like you only have so much that you can do um, because i'm not making the pieces myself we had we had to do that in school but it's not really my area of expertise or or have the time to do that so you're working with other producers right so i was able to find fabrics i like And then you take the fabrics to the producer with your designs maybe some samples for fit and so on and then they actually do the cutting and sewing uh, production of the samples so you know there's certain things that don't turn out exactly as you imagine Mm. this this still happens Mm -hmm. you know all the time and you know you you have your design you have measurements it's very specific and you have so it's visual but then you also write down everything as well so it can be read and checked off but still Lots of, you know, variances happen. So I guess at the end of the day, like, you know, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. So when I see something is a little bit off, that can be frustrating. But at the same time, some of the samples came out really well, and I was really happy with them. Yeah. The jacket I'm wearing right now is actually from that collection, my very first oh, collection. Wow. Yes. So I've been wearing this for 14 years, yes. and it's, you know good shape so it's good material <laughs> it's very good yeah it's italian new look leather so as soon as you you know you have the right material and the right producer you know you can make something really good quality that you're proud of yeah. and that's that's a really good feeling you know to be able to wear it and to have this for 14 years yeah. and you're proud it. still that. wear it yeah.
2: yeah it still still looks good too thank you yeah
0: you know that's that's a um that also leads to like sustainability too right yeah so if you make a good quality product you know, that in of itself is, is sustainable.
1: And what happens when you create
0: something and you see it and you're like, oh, this is shit. Uh.
1: (laughs) This is, I don't even want to look at this anymore.
0: It happens. Um, it happens. And because, you know, you have a tight budget, you don't really want to waste any samples. Mm. So it's pretty rare that I won't even photograph it. Like I might include it in the lookbook. I might present it to buyers because you never know what people like right but yeah certain prototypes um, you know you don't love and um, I have them in my studio or and sometimes I'm actually able to sell them because you know you want to sell everything that you make So sure, yeah. you'd be surprised like you can find a happy home you know I want to find a happy home for all of my products and even some that maybe I didn't think turned out that well or that I don't love personally Someone else usually does, yeah. and I'm able to find a good home for them. So, um, yeah, it's great when that happens.
2: That's awesome. You're a very, very busy man. You are a very busy man, right? Yeah. How, do you, how much do you uh, prioritize like having your own like free time as well? Because you still have to – I mean, you're saying you're very busy during the week, but you said you have some time on the weekend usually, right? Like how important is that weekend time for you?
0: Oh, I think it's really important. You you have to reset. I mean, if you get a little bit, you know, wound up, you you do get stressed out. Um, I push myself really hard, and you have to take breaks. You know, when you own your own business, there is always an unlimited amount of work to do. You can always be working on something, you know, mm-hmm. to move the business forward, but you have to have some structure. So. You know, I set pretty standard hours um, during the week. Um, And then on weekends, I allow myself some flexibility, you Mm -hmm. know, Saturday and Sunday and Friday. I probably won't work as late as I do the rest of the week. Um, So Friday night and Saturday night are um, times that I can spend with my friends and, you know, blow off steam, have some fun. And then, um, you know, Saturday and Sunday afternoon also are sort of like half days. Mm-hmm. And that's, um, you know, a comfortable uh, amount of hours and, and amount of work for me to tackle in a week.
1: Because it puts you in a in a nice balance between burning out and still being able to, to be creative <laughs> yeah. and yeah. yeah.
0: I'm, I'm on. You're always on that edge. Yeah. I feel like I'm on that it's edge. Fine balance. Yeah. and You don't want to trip over. Yeah. But I set. I do have. You know. There's structure. Like, I'll I'll stop at seven p.m. and exercise. You know, every day. Yeah, um, and that
2: is that like an alarm on your phone, or is it? You just look and it's about seven o'clock, or is it?
0: Well, I use Google Calendar um, on my computer, so you just get you know a little pop-up reminder. So it's everything is organized in the mm-hmm. calendar. So put everything in your calendar. Everything is in the calendar. Everything. Yeah, everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's good. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. no,
2: yeah, like I put quite a few things in calendar, but not everything. Mm-hmm. And then it's usually things I don't put in. As I start putting more and more things in because it just helps me, I guess, to forget about. Yeah. Forget about. So I don't need to, like, you know, forget a haircut. Even though it's my buddy who cuts my hair and it's down the street, I'll still put it in mm-hmm. for that time. And then it's like, okay, if I'm going to go, you know, for, for quick meetings, always, like, because first it was always just business. I put in calendars. But like, now personal things got put too because also make sure you put you the time. Organized. Yeah. And then, like, yep. if you don't put the personal things in the calendar, you kind of push them off.
0: Yeah, or you might like, be late. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's it's real. Uh, it's a lifesaver.
1: What happens when
0: uh, the creative juices are not flowing? Yeah, that, how do you break out of that? It happens. I mean, you hear about it with writers; they get writer's block. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think the same thing happens with designers, um, and sometimes it's a real struggle. I've I've wasted you know, set periods where I'm trying to design for hours and I just can't. It's it's not happening. It, nothing good is coming out here. You know, I can't can't use any of this kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Um, So I don't know that you really can. Um, It helps that I keep files of inspiration and sketches. and, And these I've accumulated for a long time, since before I was designer, I was keeping, you know, things that interested me. So I can always go into those files and, you know, kind of recycle those old ideas and inspiration, you know, if needed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that helps a lot. But really what you need to do is just do something else, you know. What uh, do you do? Anything. Uh, well, just work on some other type of project, you know, mm-hmm. other than the design part. Because the design part, I don't feel like it can be forced, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, it's just got to come to you. Yeah. yeah. And, and when it comes, it's the best feeling. I, f- I find myself really happy because um, I'm doing what I wanted to do. And I'm doing what makes me happy. And I'm in the zone. And when that happens, I could design for hours and hours and hours. And it, time is irrelevant. I'm, I'm really um, you know, productive and enjoying it. I would love to do more of that. I wish I had more time like that.
1: Well, I was going to ask, like, as a designer, I imagine that's the real thrill for you. Right. And so all this other stuff that you have to do, the, the comms, the meetings, the marketing and this and that, you know, yes, for I, I can imagine from the lens of an entrepreneur, when you do those and you see your business move forward, it's like, OK, yeah, good. It's moving in the right direction. But really and truly, the best part of it is creating built, like creating something from from within you and putting that out on paper and, and then seeing it come to life. How do you like is there a world that exists for you where you can offset some of the other stuff so you can purely focus on design or do you feel for you you would always have to have a hand in the other side
0: no i'm really um i've been working towards growing the business i think Mm. that's that's your goal right as an entrepreneur but also as a designer so growing the business will mean you know more resources a bigger team and in an ideal scenario you have someone who can manage more of the business side of things, yeah. and allow me to focus more on my strengths. So that's, you know, I haven't achieved that yet, but it's something that I'm working towards.
1: Right. Well, and what advice would you give to, let's say, younger designers, ones who are about to enter the space? What sort of ad- if What do you know
0: now that you wish you knew when you first started? Oh, a million. <laughs> that's <laughs> so many things. I mean, yeah. The I think. Being aware that the business side is as, if not more important than the design side of things. I mean, uh, once you cu- once you have your design, you need to know how to sell it, you know, to communicate your ideas, um, you know, to produce it. Uh, there's so many uh, logistics, you know, shipping, paperwork, uh, finance. Like there's so many different hats and things that you have to wear, uh, you know to wear and be comfortable with. Um, I think I would recommend a, a designer almost partners with someone else at the beginning. You know? And there are a lot of relationships like that you know, right. in the industry where you've got a talented designer that's able to design and then you have a talented business person who's able to handle that side of things. Because you, we were talking about um, finding your groove like in design. And it's not really a place where you can go in and out of and be interrupted constantly. Like if you're in that zone, you, you really need to stay there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, you know, if it's during the day and the phone rings or a customer comes or you know there's something that you have to do, um, that's really distracting. So, yeah. and, then, and then you're like, oh, you know, you've got to get back into that side of your brain and it, it's really tough. So most of the design work I do now is I have to pull like an all-nighter or a late night. So I'll well, do- When you know nobody can Yeah, and then, you, you know, night. and you mm. can turn the phone off, you know, because you also, I do business in virtually all different time zones, right? So pretty much at any time your phone can ring, um, but you almost have to shut it off and pick a quiet time overall where you can just do that for at least a few hours. Mm. And then you can get you can get a lot done with undisturbed design work in a few hours.
2: How do you get into the zone? Like I say, okay, you have like a five-hour window. You go to your room or whatever, your place where you'd like to design. Mm -hmm. Is it like you need certain music playing? Do you need the lights lit lit, low?
0: I I think um, I'm better at night. Like I'm Mm -hmm. a night owl and I feel like more creative and more energetic at night. So that's one part of it. I like to have, I almost need to have all my fabrics around. Mm. So you have your fabric uh, swatches, you know, your samples mm-hmm. and, you know, I love the fabrics. That's a big part of, you know, my being a designer is I really love the fabrics, So I need to have the fabrics there and I'm like, what should this become? And then it starts flowing. Now music is also important mm. and I love Depeche Mode. Okay. That's my favorite band by far. And I feel like I'm able to communicate at least my interpretation of their music into my clothing design. Which may sound like a stretch, but it's like, it's it's how I feel when I listen to their music and I picture, okay, what would I wear or my clients wear listening to that music, you know, walking down the street or something. Yeah. And it's, you know, so that's... It's a it
1: visualization, essentially.
0: Yeah, and it, it just, it also like it calms me in a way the music and it sort of helps turn on my it inspires me actually It just inspires me in general I think it's really uh, you know beautiful and deep it's poetic and uh, you're able to um, kind of translate that into clothing design.
1: And what inspires you to keep going?
0: Well um, in some ways uh, people would say or think I've come a long way but to me, I see more how much further I want to go. So I still feel like you know I haven't achieved very much and I have so much more um, you know that I want to do. Um, and And also going back to what we talked about before, I want to be able to spend more time as the designer because mm. that's something I've rarely been able to do right. where I can put all mm. I've got, into a collection now and again there's pieces where i've put in you know an extra effort and gone pretty much all the way that i want to go with them but with a lot of pieces you know i would say uh, i haven't and i want to do that
1: so what when you say you there's so much more that you want to take like so much further you want to go what does that look like
0: Uh, like um you know like the big the big designer brands that, you know, like Armani and Tom Ford and Calvin Klein, I mean, Ralph Lauren, you know, legends, mm-hmm. um, in the industry, you know, that's, that's the direction that I'm going or that I want to go.
1: Yeah. And what makes those brands what they are? Like, I, I've been, cu- I'm curious about it from the perspective of a designer.
0: Well, I think they're consistent, which is really important mm. in terms of style and right. aesthetic. And and then they're also, you know, obviously very commercially successful. And, uh, you know, some designers and artists strive for more avant-garde, you know, type of design and, and success. And I really respect that. And I, and I love that type of design. But I, I think Karl Lagerfeld once said, like, there's nothing wrong with selling dresses you know i think he was referring to this little black dress or something and i'm like yeah like i want to design things that people actually wear and and want and and make them feel better that make them feel confident so um, that's um, another type of success that attracts me you know if you're doing a product that you're proud of and people want to buy it i think that's like a big win right
1: sure i imagine it feels amazing or incredible when some when you see someone wearing one of your products like even when yeah. you don't know them and you just see them wearing it.
0: Yeah, totally. And you know, you just you get inquiries from uh, random people all over the world um, who find your work somehow. And um, when I have the time or, or when it's top of mind, I'll ask them like, "Hey, how did you find out about the brand?" And that's always you know an interesting story. Um, today, I had a guy message me from Illinois in the U.S. and he's he was he's the minister at a big Italian wedding coming up and he went to his tailor and he was asking for a Don Vito Corleone tuxedo specifically he was showing him pictures he's like can you make me this can you make me this and the tailor just like I don't know he didn't feel confident so this guy was googling uh, online information about this tuxedo and he came across our my collaboration with Paramount for The Godfather which is uh, Relatively new Mm -hmm. collaboration and we actually remade the Don Vito Corleone tuxedo. So this is the second time that it's happened sort of like that where people were just googling and you know lucky um, I guess I have to credit our web guys that the SEO was actually working. Yeah. (laughs) Because when you google that we my tuxedo will come up. Yeah, so he was and that's
1: a really like, that's a broad search when you search yeah. up Vito Corleone. Right. Yeah. Like, I you're going to get hits of all sorts of things.
0: Yeah. yeah. But he, that's how we found us. And someone else uh, from the States, a similar scenario, found us that way. And, you know, they were really happy to be able to order, you know, this authentic, officially licensed piece. Um, and, and I enjoyed, you know, the conversation with them. You know, they, uh, the first guy sending me pictures of himself. He's in Italy. He's getting lots of compliments. You know this other guy is going to send me pictures from the wedding he's attending and you know it's nice to have interactions with people all over the world that appreciate your work
1: yeah so tell us about the, the Vito Corleone Paramount partnership how that starts who approaches who like how all that works and where it's at today so just for, for, for the like I wore the, the Don Vito Corleone tuxedo You were gracious enough to lend it to me for the juno awards Mm -hmm. in edmonton and we uh, we were talking prior to filming we got a ton of compliments on that jacket on the whole suit and every time someone asked about it i would just open it up and they would see the 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 family crest the corleone family crest inside and Mm -hmm. it was always such a cool moment because i grew up on the godfather i love the godfather so that's a a really cool thing just to be a part of i can imagine so maybe walk us through how that all started
0: Sure. Um, so I've had a pretty long relationship with Paramount. So Paramount is the parent company of Viacom, CBS, Nickelodeon, MTV, You know, Paramount, Paramount Plus. Mm. It's this behemoth. Yeah. And years ago, I did a collaboration with MTV, sneakers and bomber jackets. And it got some pretty good traction uh, in the world, but also some respect from people inside Paramount because mm. we're doing, you know, high quality products. I think that's important to reiterate that, you know, we produce everything in Italy with, you know, cutting edge materials, world-class craftsmanship. Um, and and they, they appreciate that at Paramount. So mm-hmm. um, I was actually meeting with the president of MTV at the time that the new Top Gun Maverick uh, film trailer came out. So this was like three years ago. Yeah. And this is kind of long-winded, but this is how it, how it yeah, came no, about. Go ahead. Okay, So um, he asked if I had seen the new uh, Top Gun Maverick trailer. And I said, yeah, like 20 times, why? <laughs> <laughs> like I'm, a, I'm a diehard Top Gun fan. And he said, well, maybe you could do something. And I said, uh, "What do you mean? That's crazy." He's like, "Well, put together a proposal like you did with MTV and send it to the head office." And I'm like, "Okay." So I did. I created, you know, a mini business plan and my designs, and they loved it. And I was able to obtain a license for Top Gun.
1: Sorry, um, Before you continue, you had to create a business plan for it too.
0: Well, that's what I did. I created a because you're uh, you're going for a license, so they want right, to see okay. that you're organized and you know how. Are you going to market and sell these products? You want to have some forecasts and things like that. Um, You know, I did as much as I could to get the license. So maybe I went above and beyond, but I was able to get it. So it's worthwhile. Absolutely. Um, So we we got the Top Gun license and uh, that's been going great. It's still an ongoing project. And I was meeting with... The Paramount uh, European teams. I was at the Much Music Video Awards in Budapest uh, a little over a year ago, and they said, "Great, love the Top Gun. What about the Godfather?" And I'm like, what, "What do you? What about it?" And they're like, "Next year, which was last year, is the 50th anniversary of the original film, mm-hmm. and so we're doing a bunch of things for the Godfather 50th anniversary." I said, "Wow, that's amazing!" Like. In my head, I'm thinking I'm already having a hard time managing Christopher Bates and Top Gun because that's two lines. It's it is double the work. Sure. And yeah. then, um, but it but it's The Godfather. I mean, that's an yeah, offer that I can't it? refuse. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. from, I st- you were going to say that. weren't You yeah. <laughs> You beat me to it. <laughs> I <yeah>. stole it. <laughs> okay. Um, so I I I did the same thing as with Top Gun. I I created all my designs and and a business plan. And was able to get the license for the Godfather. So, um, yeah, that's that's how it came about. So now I'm doing, you know, three things, which is, which is also uh, pretty intense. Yeah, that's
1: that's a lot. Three, three. So that's essentially almost like three different brands. That's
0: your right. It is. It is. How yeah. do you stay on top of all that? Well, uh, Google Calendar. You know, <laughs> every, everything is in there. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm organized generally, you know, so I have, you know, a really good breakdown in my computer. I have, you know, three kind of master files, you know, for CB, Godfather and Top Gun. I have three different uh, inventory files, three different sales files, and, um, and you just have to keep them up to date. You know, I have a great assistant at my studio and she helps uh, manage the inventory and the lists. And so that's, that's a big part of it. Just staying like, really um, crazy organized
2: yeah. what are some of the things that you do or say to I just I guess keep you
0: motivated on those days where it's like man this is so much like I don't know if I <laughs> can do this and and you do get those feelings mm-hmm. you do I admit it um, you know I present to the world and to people that know me um, this sort of I don't really show um, you know a softer side I I be like really Tough, let's mm. say. But you do have those feelings, of course. Um, you know, things happen out of your control. You can have low energy or, or bad sleep. But there's a level of self-awareness that exists to also know
1: I'm not in the right space. I need to do that.
0: Yeah. And, and just, you know, you just have to push yourself. That's it. I've I've pushed myself further than I've ever thought possible and then past that. And past that and past that to the point now where i feel like there aren't there's not many boundaries or things that i i won't overcome mm. like um you know i have confidence but the confidence where does it come from you know it comes from overcoming challenges the more challenges you overcome the more faith and belief you have in yourself to overcome any future challenges mm. so i've been there's things that have been thrown at me or things that have happened that are seemingly insurmountable where most people, even the toughest, would be very tempted to throw in the towel or do something easier because there's a lot easier ways to make money than to do what I do. But it's not all about that. I also still want to do something that I am passionate about. And I also happen to love challenges. So, (laughs) you know... It's yeah. like I don't know if that's some sick <laughs> thing, but um, because it it can be really tough. But but at the same time, I like it.
1: Is How there much. a project similar to a Top Gun or a Godfather that if it you know that you would want to work on that's either not available or you're sort of
0: pursuing? So th- those like Top Gun for sure is is surreal. You know, still thinking about it. Um, and Godfather, too. Um, I mean, those are two of the coolest brands I could have ever dreamed to work with. Um, the only other one that comes to mind right away is James Bond.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so I grew up watching the uh, Sean Connery Bond movies with my dad. Yeah. Um, and I would say that had a profound impact on my life, um, how I am as a person, um, how I appreciate, you know design. Um, it inspired me in so many ways so yeah bond you know personally and professionally would be the ultimate
1: yeah so that would supersede top gun
0: and and the godfather combined yeah, yeah. <laughs> bond would be number one because <laughs> yeah. i love tuxedos as well and yeah. evening wear yeah you know um and just the nonchalant way that i mean i always think of sean connery when i think of bond yeah but the way that he wore a suit and you have to credit his his tailor but the way that he moved he was so comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Immaculate, but comfortable. That is, you know, that's priceless. Do
1: you like the Bond movies? I've seen a few of them, yeah. I've for me, it's
0: Pierce Brosnan. That's who I think of when I think of Bond. He's great. But, you know, for me, it's, you know, Sean Connery and then... Um, Daniel Craig is... I, didn't, I like Bond. He did a great Bond. job. I, I like mean, Bond. Bond. Yeah. They're really good at, uh, at casting these Bonds. I mean, Roger Moore had his charm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm a big, big Bond fan. That would be that would be cool. That would be the one.
1: Yeah. So, fast forward ten years, what's Christopher Bates doing? If you can manifest that
0: ideal right now on this table, what would it be? Well, I'd like to be a, in ten years a giant step closer, if not already, um, more of an international brand. Okay. So, um, you know, mono brand boutiques in you know different stores around the world and hopefully on a super yacht when I'm vacationing, <laughs> right? <laughs> just like Bond. Yeah, yeah, like a Bond villain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. no, just, just a lot further and, and, you know, happy and let's say uh, doing more design work, yeah. uh, being the brand ambassador for the company. You know, those are the things that I really enjoy, the things that I feel like I'm good at. So, you know, that would be a really good space, you know, having, having other people I trust run the business side and letting me focus on what I'm passionate about.
1: yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I think like it, the creativity that you require to do what you're doing, it, it seems like it's a, a fragile thing that you have to nurture and water and protect, which is why I think it becomes so important that when you're in that zone, it's like everybody leave me alone. I need to because you, you don't know when you're gonna, when it comes back. Is there a fear there at all that, you know, one day it'll just stop?
0: I don't think so. Like if anything, for me, I feel like I have too many ideas. Okay. Have That's to, a good place to be. <laughs> yeah. You have to cultivate the ideas that uh, make sense for the brand and, and who your customers are going to like. Yeah. At the end of the day, the market decides if you're successful or not. Right. That's something I learned actually after my first season Um, because when I started the brand, uh, it was Christopher Bates for Ultra. So you can see that there, Christopher Bates for Ultra. So Ultra is something that means a lot to me personally, but people, it um, it means like extra, super, going above and beyond. Um, it was also this tag from a video game that I used to play when I was a kid called Killer Instinct. Okay. Yep. And when you did this like 26 hit combo to finish the uh, other fighter, it would be like
1: ultra, ultra, yeah, yeah, yeah. ultra. 26 so I, hit combo. Yeah, it was insane. And
0: eventually, like, I think you could even put the controller down and your, your player was still like doing Going the combo. It, yeah. Right. You just had to start it off right. Yeah. Um, and so I used to run around the house as a kid, like ultra, ultra, like, you know, kind of crazy. Um but it it meant a lot to me and also uh one of the best depeche mode albums is called ultra and they have a story about why ultra as well but i'll let you guys look that up um so it meant a lot to me but other people were like ultra like what's that you know and even buyers were like ultra well they're like i can get an ultra slim tv or an ultra Mm. you know bleach toothpaste or whatever right it's it's already out there and ultra also has a negative connotations in, say, uh, professional soccer, where the ultras are like hooligans, you know, like soccer, mm. crazy soccer fans yeah, who, okay. you know, rage and beat each other up. So my friends in Europe were like, you can't use ultras, you know, you can't use ultra. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I get it. <laughs> you know, the market's saying no, but I'd already done a lot. I had, you know, my website was ultramenswear.com and You know all of these different things like I had made all these labels and my brand is ultra I mean it's Christopher Bates for ultra but everybody's like you know just use Christopher Bates and that's something I was always prepared to do it was Mm -hmm. in my head but uh, yeah we had to get rid of ultra so that was a big uh, lesson early on and that's that goes back to the market you know deciding I won't do just anything but it has to be something that I like and the market likes and then you can balance, you know, creative, commercial, be happy, make a living.
1: How do you reconcile when you create something you like, but the market doesn't like it?
0: Like you look at it and you're like, this is gold. Like, mm-hmm. what the hell's wrong with you people? Yeah, <laughs> it, it happens. That happens a lot, you know. Right? And I, it does. Um, you know, you've got to, you've got to know the market. Like Canada, for example, is it's a fairly conservative market and fairly conformist. How so? Um, well, people, it's not. Like a fashion hub you right. know generally speaking right like um i remember in my meetings with you know a lot of buyers they're like oh you know they like the crazy stuff they like the you know 20 percent of my collection i usually do like you said it's stuff that i'm into it's a little bit more experimental forward edgy right mm-hmm. cool stuff but it's largely you know the other 80 percent that um, they end up buying they they always want navy blazers right right so i'll find a way to I'll find a fabric that at least is different maybe it has a micro texture micro pattern or its jersey there's a lot of ways to make it interesting but excuse me um the you know i don't want to just do you know navy blazers like i've uh, i want to do some more interesting stuff right
1: that allows the creative expression to come out
0: yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. you don't you don't want to get pigeonholed you know i have my famous uh kiss shirt for example right Mm -hmm. the white dress shirt with a red lipstick kiss on the collar um, it's a, it's a great idea. It's our bestseller of all time. Um, I have a lot of people tell me like, oh, you need to put the kiss on everything. <laughs> and I'm like, I think that's a big mistake. You know, mm. I've seen other designers do that. I won't name names, but I think it really. Pigeonholes. you. Yeah. It really limits you and pigeonholes you. And if that's all people are buying, mm, I think you've kind of failed as a designer. So why? Uh, because then it's like, you know. It should be able to stand up on its own, what you design, like your piece. So I don't do a lot of external branding. I'm very careful with it. Sometimes I've tried it and then I've taken it off. Because I think the piece, if you have the right fabric, the right cut, the right design, even if it's clean, even if it's minimal, um, should speak volumes, you know, and it's like class and it will last a long time. So that's, you know, more my style of design. I think if you plaster it with like logos and things... It might be hot for a minute but as a wearer you're going to get tired of it and as people seeing it you're definitely get tired of it so
1: so like those shirts that have the logo like all the way diagonal down the shirt on mm -hmm. the back on the arms type of thing like that's that's not something that you know christopher bates piece of clothing whatever maybe not ever but would not your style
0: no i don't do a lot of that um it's not my style and that's style is the key word here right because yeah. things can be fashionable right like right now I, I don't even know because logos are going in and out it seems like they've been pretty in for a while yeah uh, but I find that's a point where a brand is almost desperate especially like a big brand and they're trying to cash out like what happens if they all of a sudden remove all their logos are they gonna lose those customers right maybe it's risky.
1: Well, yeah, because, I mean, I suspect there's a lot of people out there. I don't personally like to wear clothing that's overly flashy with the brand logo because mm-hmm. I just feel it takes away from the – all you're seeing is the logo. You stop yep. paying attention to the actual article of clothing. Right. But I, there are a lot of people that you can easily tell if it doesn't have the logo splashed everywhere, they won't wear it. Right. So those are the customers
0: that ultimately they would lose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a customer that I might not get either. Right, mm-hmm.
2: but it's, market, it's a different market. Yeah, what do you think about those those big red shoes? You know the big red shoes. Have you seen them on like Instagram or TikTok? You know the like the red ones that if you haven't seen them, I don't know what
0: that. Yeah, I don't. It. I don't think I've seen them. Yeah, yeah. Seen them it's, it's look,
2: but it's like people are wearing them now, and it's like I don't know if it's a fashion statement or just like a people just want to wear them to.
1: I feel like people are moving towards more minimalistic looks. Like, they just want the plain, you know, It's it's at least now what I see typically, at least when I walk into stores, are sweaters that have no indication of who the brand is, Mm -hmm. and then they're either oversized or Mm -hmm. just completely plain, and and that's the look that people seem to want to go for now.
0: Yeah, that's good. I mean, the the pendulum swings, right? And then we'll see how long that lasts, and it might go, again, back towards major you know logoing and and how fast can you adapt to those well for us it's easy because we're small so you know we typically do two collections per year you know a spring summer and a fall winter and then you know a few pieces and maybe collabs throughout the year but we have two core collections so you know we can do things pretty quickly um either for the next collection or even in between those collections Mm. So. And
1: how far in advance, like right now we're entering, sp- we're, we're pretty much almost in spring here. Mm. How far in
0: advance are you working on the fall winter collection? So fall is pretty much done. And now I'm actually working on next spring, summer.
1: Oh, yeah, okay. So, so f- how are you working a year in advance? Like, do you know what the trends are? Is
0: there... That's a really good question. Um, now there, there are actually... Trend forecast reports out there, and they're really um, expensive and detailed. Um, and a lot of big brands do use those. That's yeah. why you'll see a collection, and and there's similarities between several brands. There might be like five. They're operating off the same core themes. Yeah, yeah they they happen to have selected the mm-hmm. same thing. Right. One of the same things from these forecasts—they're—they're they're actually really amazing and inspiring. I've seen them. Okay. I think the subscription or to to look at one is like fifteen or twenty thousand dollars. Like they're who's, really who's creating—they're incredible. Uh, there's companies that that's specifically what they do. I see. That okay. is their full-time job. They right. do color forecasts, material forecasts, like all these different silhouettes. Uh, the books are incredible. It's a really rich source of inspiration. Um, but for me, it's just a little bit more natural you know, process, uh, which means, um, you know, I might be, I might happen to be on to certain things or I might not be, but because my style is not like crazy avant-garde to start with, it's my style is pretty consistent, you know, season to season. I change colors, I change fabrics, I change details, but my overall silhouettes are actually pretty similar. Like once I find something that works, I don't feel the need to change it just for the sake of you know and Mm -hmm. that's something that frustrated me uh, as a consumer is if there's a really great product like a shoe or whatever and and i love it and i want more but i can't get it Mm -hmm. because there's all this pressure for new and different and you have to change you have to change but if i have like um you know a blazer that works really well and a lot of customers are loving it like i will not change it Mm. i might just change the fabric that's it and people like that. I have some customers who buy three of the exact same thing. And they're like, when I find something I like, yeah. that's what I want to wear. Yeah. And so, and I, I respect that. I totally understand it because I'm the same way. I'm still wearing this jacket from like 14 years ago. And I have hundreds of jackets to choose from. Mm. But if if you nail it on something and, and you like it, why not?
1: Why not? Yeah. yeah. It's
0: like buying the same shirt in...
1: Four different colors. People do that too. Yeah, yeah that, I that's think, what I do. Definitely. Yeah, <laughs>
2: Definitely. I have the same shit. I have this in black. I have it in green. Yeah, I have it in purple. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good thing. I I think more designers should do that. I don't see it very often. Well, it's because mm-hmm. then you can't go back and get
1: it if it's no longer made. Ultimately, right? Mm-hmm. Would you ever put your label on another product? Like I've seen some brands will go and they won't design it. They won't create it, but they'll go somewhere and they'll basically say, okay. I want to turn this into X brand and so they'll slap their label on top of it they'll purchase the rights to it I don't know how it works but I've seen it happen so that's something that
0: happens often and is it something that you would do so you mean like a, a company that does like uh, not like apparel like just a...
1: yeah like uh, I'll give you an example I used to work for a, uh, a shoe company mm-hmm. um, and they would often go to Italy and they would go and purchase the rights to sell. This is how I understood it. They would go and purchase the rights to sell a pair of Chelsea boots, let's say. And then they would take their label and slap it on the bottom of the shoe or right. on the inside of the shoe. Yep. So they never they didn't have a hand in designing it and mm-hmm.
0: creating it, mm-hmm. nothing like that. But they just, I guess, wholesale purchase. It's like a license kind of. right. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's a good question. Um, the king of licenses was Pierre Cardin. and he actually had his name on scuba gear that's (laughs) how far it went so but he he made hundreds of millions if not billions off off Mm. of this type of you know putting your name onto other products thing so I'm not opposed to it it depends Um, if it's a high quality product something that you know maybe I'm personally passionate about or that makes sense for my target market um, yeah why not Um, but when I was starting out um, at a really difficult period, you know, near rock bottom. And there was a sunglasses company that wanted to put my name on their sunglasses and they were going to give me $15,000, hmm. which at the time was huge, huge. Um, and I said no because they were cheap sunglasses hmm. and I really needed the money. Yeah. But I've been super protective uh, with my brand up until and and up until this day you know still i'm very protective of the brand so um, like i said it has to make sense
1: awesome well i respect that i respect the (laughs) the fact that you're in a position you were in a position where you didn't want to and you needed the money Mm -hmm. and you had to sort of reconcile how to protect the brand and i think you're stronger all the more for it right and i think that resonates and that carries through to the point that you're at now where you're still very protective of the brand like as much as you liked Top Gun and like The
0: Godfather, it seems as though you would not take those on unless you thought that you could do it right. That's true, mm-hmm. um, and there have been other, you know, licenses out there that I've had a shot at. Um, I won't say you know were offered to me on a silver platter or anything, but I could have pitched, let's mm-hmm. say, but I didn't feel like um, they were the right fit for for me, the brand, um, and that I would give it the requisite time, you know, to do a really good job. So I said I had to pass on on a few interesting opportunities. Interesting. Where can people find you? So best place to start is ChristopherBates.com. We have a private studio in the Eaton Centre. There's information about that on our site. Mm -hmm. Um, We're currently operating a separate site for Top Gun, which is TopGunCollection.com, and for The Godfather, which is Mm TheGodfatherCollection.com. Um, in addition to that, we're at select retailers: uh, Got Style in the Distillery District, mm-hmm. uh, the Coop, uh, George C in Yorkville, um, Shinobi in Vegas and Newport Beach. So, shouts out to all of those uh, great stores <laughs> for carrying the brand. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Thanks. I appreciate you coming by. Thanks for having me. It's been an hour it flies Time's up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no but listen uh, you're doing incredible stuff and uh, excited to see where this goes uh, best of luck with the, the Godfather collection, the Top Gun collection all the other stuff that you're doing it's inspiring because I think one of the things that's resonated for me at least is how dedicated you are to making sure that you remain true to your passion and that everything else that's happening on the side the business elements of it as important as it is, means nothing if it wasn't for the fact that your designs, your, your creative side has to come through, first and foremost. And I think it's important because I think sometimes we see a lot of people sacrifice some of that mm-hmm. in order to make an extra dollar. Right. and it really resonates even more when you tell the story of when you're at rock bottom <laughs> and someone offers you 15 grand which today 15 grand to a lot of people is a lot of money it, even today it's, it's still a lot of money for right? sure somebody walks in and says I'll give you 15 grand just slap your name on something and that's it right So to do that at a point when you needed it I think reinforces that the the character behind the brand and so thank you for sharing that and thank you for coming by. I really appreciate it thanks for having me thank you yeah, appreciate it. Everybody, thank you very much. Make sure you're tuning in, subscribing, and and liking, and following, and all the other stuff. Make sure you check out Christopher Bates. He's doing incredible work.
0: Poncho, we appreciate you. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody.